What companies would you want to work for? Just Capital is a nonprofit that tracks which companies are a force for good. Companies like Bank of America, which just earned the prestigious Just Capital 2024 seal. Bank of America is ranked number one in the banking industry and number one for their ongoing commitment to workers, offering best-in-class benefits, including a minimum wage of $25 an hour by 2025. Visit JustCapital.com to learn how a just business is a better business. Furnished by Just Capital. Welcome to Two Cents on Two Wheels. I'm your host, Jeremy Riesenberg. Let's get into it and spill some change. Since our last episode, we've had a few rounds of Supercross in the books. There's some massive storylines, as well as some I don't think anyone else is talking about that I want to dive into. So let's break it down. We're going to start at the top of the 450 class. We're going to call this episode Rarefied Air in appreciation, breaking it down like we do on two cents on two wheels. Following the Indy Supercross last night, Cooper Webb has taken the red plate, leads the 450 points for the first time since he won the championship in 2021. Much has been made about the late race antics of Webb, but under the surface is the fact that he has just two main event wins past the halfway point of the series. In his previous title seasons, Webb has won by getting on a roll, racking up the wins. Instead, this year, Tomac has the most wins, with twice as many as anyone else in the field. It's Webb's consistency that has him in the points lead. His ability to avoid the major mistakes has him in control right now, but I think if he wants to win this title, it's going to take a minimum of five wins. Why is it going to take so many wins? It's the man he's up against, the two-time champ. Eli Tomac. Tomac had a hot start to the year, getting wins and points at an unprecedented rate. He even won Anaheim 1 for the first time in his career, but yet again, it's just after the halfway point of the series, and he just lost the red plate. How did it happen? It's the byproduct of three races. The Anaheim Triple Crown, where a huge mistake derailed a successful night. Then another mistake while leading in Tampa ended up in a fifth. Then a weird off night in Indianapolis last night, ending in an eighth. We began the season talking about how Tomac was in better form overall than he's ever been, only to see these weird off nights return. The difference now is an off night is still a top 10, but when you're matched up against the consistency of Cooper Webb, it takes pure excellence. We're set up for a compelling eight rounds to the end, pitting Webb versus Tomac, alike in many ways, different in many others, both competing for an elusive third championship. Speaking of what a world we live in, there's a real possibility Eli Tomac could end the season second in all-time Supercross wins, but with only two Supercross titles compared to three for Cooper Webb, who has less than half as many wins. Right now, it's probably 45-45 between the two of them, if you ask me. As evenly matched as it comes, with only a point between them, perhaps maybe at leaning 50-40 towards Tomac due to pure speed and wins. But wait, you say that only adds up to 90. Where's the other 10%? Well, that 10% is with perhaps the biggest story of the 450 Supercross season, Chase Sexton. The 23 Honda has established himself as the fastest rider in the field, fastest qualifier awards almost every week, dominating heat races, and head-scratching main event mistakes. Depending on how you look at it, mistakes have wiped out three or four wins off the board for Sexton. Like many, I've been waiting for the race where he puts it all together then runs off four to five wins in a row to establish himself as the alpha in that championship as his. Instead, we've gotten more of the same. It finally made sense to me this week when they shared the comparison of Sexton and Tomac 
through 50 starts on the broadcast. The podium and win stats between the two were basically the same. The only difference is Sexton regularly starts at the front, where early career Tomac was forced to come through the pack. The questions we all have about Sexton, we once had about Tomac. That's worked out pretty well, I'd say. I think more than anything, the mistakes that Sexton has puts a spotlight on the difference between raw speed and sustainable, consistent greatness. Throughout the history of the sport, there's been maybe 1% of the guys that have the skill and speed to win main events. But the ones that have the every round ability to put it together and win a title, that's a fraction of a percent. It's rare. Will Sexton get there? Perhaps. But we can both appreciate the speed and desire and hope for him to cross over to that rarefied air. The two don't have to be exclusive. Speaking of that rarefied air, one rider who has shown the ability to be the best in the world on any given night, but not on enough nights to win a title, perhaps at the top of that list, Kenny Roxon. What a whirlwind season has been for Kenny. Jumping on a totally unproven, outdated Suzuki, showing flashes of that Roxon speed we all know, but more so the mid to bottom of the top 10 results that leave him just out of title winning scope at the end of the year. Through eight rounds, he had a single triple crown podium, one heat win, and sat fifth in points. Basically what we all expected for this experiment. And then the most challenging track of the year in Indianapolis, Kenny comes out, lays down his second place time in qualifying, again, second in the heat race, grabs a whole shot in the main. I've said it before, I'll say it again. I'm a Roxon fan. When he got into the lead, had a four second lead build up, I was hoping for a podium. But as the laps clicked off, the gap remained the same. But then it's the last lap. Justin Barsh's in striking distance. I've seen this episode far too many times before. The only question was whether Heartbreak would wait until the last corner or not. But as the two circulated the demanding Lucas Oil Stadium, the crowd on their feet cheering, engulfing the live broadcast, the improbable happened. In shades of late career Chad Reed, we witnessed another improbable win. Last night was a reward of the stubborn self-assurance that Roxon has. As I mentioned with the Reed comparison, one more chance for us to appreciate the talent, tenacity, and character that Ken Roxon brings to the sport. A multi-time Supercross champion, Roxon is not. But again, we can appreciate what he is along with realizing what he isn't. But as evident by the crowd's reaction, the reaction of the rest of the field, and the fact that he put a freaking Suzuki 450 on the top step, the sport is better when Roxon is a threat. Speaking of making the sport better, we are witnessing some truly awesome times at the front of the 250 classes. On each coast, we have the Lawrence brothers taking control, winning all but two races total right now, and at the complete class of the field. Each week, it seems there's a new invented record they're achieving, and there's a real possibility for the first time a pair of brothers will sweep the 250 Supercross titles. But I want to talk about a comparison, one that we will see settled on the track, in East Rutherford and Salt Lake City. Right now, in 2023, I think Hunter's the better Supercross rider. Hunter's always been a bit more consistent, but I feel that now he's reaching the raw speed that Jets always had, but is in much more control. I think Honda has a plan to keep Hunter on a 250 one more year next year, but is that subject to change if Hunter wins every round but one this year? and defeats Jet in both shootouts? And what would Hunter have to gain from another year in the 250 class? He's older and has more experience, and in my opinion, it's time for Honda to move them both up. Chance Hymas has shown he has the ability to be the next guy up. Honda just needs one more 250 rider. They're not just set for next year, but well into the future as well. So where would they find that rider? How about taking a look at the suddenly formidable 
Phoenix Honda team. This team has been a revelation on the East Coast. Multiple nights of Colin Park, Cody Shock, Jace Owen, Caden Broswell taking up four of the 22 main event spots. Not only that, but many nights like in Indy, they're 25% of the top 12. Throwing Anstey and the Firepower Honda team, it's been a strong year for the satellite Honda teams, which is great to see after the giant hole left on the rider lineup when Geico Honda folded up. From a team on the rise to one in the dumps, I'll share more when we return to this episode of Two Cents on Two Wheels after this. What's up, folks? Anthony Armstrong here. Bob Popple, along with Super Bowl champion Carl Banks. Hey, NFL fans. This is Solomon Wilcox, former NFL safety and host of the Believe in Bengals podcast. Catch my show and all 32 Believe NFL podcasts. Listen in to former players give their inside perspective on your favorite team. Search Believe, that's B-L-E-A-V, on Apple, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. It's always football season, wherever you listen. Business has always been about turning a profit, making money. But can it stand for something more? Something beyond dollars and cents? We think so. We think that today, business has a higher calling, a purpose to be fair and just, to do right by their workers, customers, communities, and the environment. And it turns out companies successful doing that also do better for their bottom line. When you see the Just Capital seal, it means this company is a force for good. Visit JustCapital.com to learn more. Welcome back to Two Cents on Two Wheels on the Cumulus Media Des Moines Podcast Network. Let's spill some more change. Like I said, from a team on the rise to one in the dumps, what a terrible year for Pro Circuit Kawasaki. Despite the struggles of last year, they decided to run it back in 2023. Got even worse. They've been shut out of the top spot of the podium, but even worse, they couldn't get their original rider lineup to the East Coast opener. Instead, they had to call up their retired Chris Blos off the couch just to have a rider on the gate. It must drive Mitch Payton mad to be hoping for top fives with his only East Coast rider. No indictment on Blos here. He's doing the best he can, but it's been that type of season. Make that a couple of seasons for Pro Circuit Kawasaki. Couple more quick points to hit on. We mentioned the Lawrence brothers, but let's throw it up some props for the Hill brothers. Nearly putting both of their team tether bikes in the top 10 with 9-11 scores last night. With the attrition in the field, they say it's just a matter of time before it happens. It's been very cool to watch. Count me as surprised very pleasantly that the comeback is going so well for Justin Hill. It's going to be cool to watch him continue to improve and work towards that top five. Speaking of the top five, right there in fifth last night is where you'll find Jason Anderson. A complete loss for words with my preseason title pick. Coming off his most successful overall season last year, I think everyone expected multiple wins and consistent podiums from Anderson this year. Why he's falling short on a program he was so good on last year is anyone's guess. Hopefully he turns it around soon or there's a real chance the Kawasaki brand won't get a win in either class this year. When's the last time that happened? No doubt about it. From the front of the pack all the way through the battle for the last transfer in the LCQs, the storylines and entertainment factor in the Supercross series this year has been absolutely phenomenal. I'd love to hear your thoughts on these topics as well as anything else that's grabbed your attention. Drop me a line on socials. Let's talk about it. Thanks for tuning in to Two Cents on Two Wheels. Jeremy Reasonberg, I'll talk to you soon.
Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Let's get into season four, episode three, Facade. People get picked on. I got picked on. But Scabby Abby, Scabby, the whole school yeah, just I hurt see. me. I felt like it wasn't real. If I may, I want to defend the storytellers. The people who created the show wanted you to feel like these people were the worst people ever. They pretty much said the whole school of Smallville High are bad people. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.